You're listening to the Satanic Temple Ministries Religious Services. In each service, ministers of Satan discuss a single topic related to Satanic religious life. Services are held twice a week on Tuesday and Saturday. For more information, go to satanicministry.com. I am Minister Carl Casarda, and uh, today is July 25th of 2023. And our topic today is security and cybersecurity. And we will begin, though, with our normal invocation. Let us stand now, unbowed and unfettered by arcane doctrines born of fearful minds in darkened times. Let us embrace the Luciferian impulse to eat of the tree of knowledge and dissipate our blissful and comforting delusions of old. Let us demand that individuals be judged for their concrete actions, not their fealty to arbitrary social norms or illusory categorizations. Let us reason our solutions with agnosticism in all things, holding fast only to that which is demonstrably true. Let us stand firm against any and all arbitrary authority that threatens the personal sovereignty of one or all. That which will not bend must break, and that which can be destroyed by truth should never be spared its demise. It is done. Hail Satan. So tonight, we're going to talk about security and cybersecurity, Um, but we're going to broach this not as though they are somehow separate topics. We so frequently have seen through the history of the topic, we'll see people talk about cybersecurity or physical security or real-world security or privacy as though they are somehow separate topics in and of themselves. But as the internet has become what it has become at once, truly probably a tool for the liberation and freedom of the human mind to Now I'm going to argue maybe an actual jail and prison for the human mind if we're not careful with it. The reality is that your data, uh, your information, everything that you do and all the breadcrumbs of what you create in this world through the app on your phone or just the device that's a surveillance device in your pocket tracking your GPS coordinates or scanning your microphone or taking photos of you or you taking the photos yourself or how you publish them or what you do with them. All of this information, whether you feed it to these corporate oligarchies by your own will or not even with your knowledge is being used as uh, information gathering towards creating a picture and image of you that is to be monetized. And in that regard, it would be considered, I think you could consider it immoral, but really these actions are for the most part amoral in that their goal is to turn you into a product and to use all that information for the productization of our world. Again, Truly, it's a capitalist endeavor, and we know where that lands up. But that being said, the security implications that come from what is now a data-focused economy lend itself to privacy being sometimes maybe not even a viable thing to think of in this world. Now, in that regard, what we want to talk about tonight is that is privacy something that can be achieved? Is something security is security something that can be achieved? Is cybersecurity something that can be achieved? And what is the threat model that faces you individually? These security issues of privacy, both in the real world and online, are different based on what your particular life and situation is. And what you may not even realize your life and situation may be later on in life. Choices that are made today in terms of privacy, um, whether willingly or unwillingly, choices you make in regards to the data that you supply to the system, 
and decisions you make with whom you associate with and what you attend and how you attend them, using an alias or not using an alias, amongst many other topics we need to talk about now, because the ramifications of what they may mean later may not even necessarily be fully understood. People that maybe are a little older in the audience today that grew up pre-internet can remember a world when there wasn't a surveillance device in your pocket and there wasn't an internet that worked the way it does now. Um, and in that regard, it was seemed like when these things started, they were sort of exciting and new and a, really a frontier that we hadn't necessarily broached yet. And for a while, it was that. But now, as we see, not much differently than the historical frontier of, let's say, the Old West and the barbed wire fence that are being created all across what was a free-reigning environment and the restrictions that come with that, but also the controls of which fence you happen to be restrained within, we could not have predicted, or maybe it was difficult to predict. There were people that were definitely concerned about the privacy implications of these things way back when. And when we talk way back when, we're not talking that long ago. We're talking the 1990s, even the early 2000s, that made these concerns known. And for the doing of that, for the most part, they were generally regarded as being... Um, uh, what's the word we want to use, being generally paranoid. And the reality is now we look back 20 years after this, and if you were able to research some of these old uh, technologically focused people, maybe even the hacker space, the, the, the concerns that they raised then are absolutely the reality now. Um, one of my favorite cyberpunk dystopian shows from long ago was Mad Mac. Uh, not Mad Mac, excuse me, a bad excuse me, <laughs> um, headroom. And in that show, they just used the term um, max headroom. They turned, used the term 20 minutes into the future. And what that meant was we were just a little bit beyond reality of what was going to come. A show that probably, if we want to talk about pop culture, that would be like that today is, a, is Black Mirror. And in fact, things that have happened in that show just over the last couple of years have actually manifested into reality. Things like social media scores affecting people's lives in the real world. And so in this regard, when we talk about cybersecurity and real world security, what used to be considered two different things are really one and the same. The, the internet is not different or somehow distinctly separate from the real world. And the threats that we face online can and do manifest in reality. And so um, I have a lot to say about that, but we also have two other guests with us tonight. We have Chris Turvey and um, uh, Fel Phoenix, and they are, both have an approach to this that I think are important to bring to the conversation tonight. We're going to kind of do this, not necessarily freeform, but we're going to go back and forth and talk about this because, for example, Chris, you've done a lot of work with securing um, some of the major events we've held here in, within the Satanic Temple, most prominently both of the SatanCon uh, events, which have a very high threat profile in regards to being prominent, very visible to the kind of people that would be maybe um, we should be concerned with. And you have brought um, a lot of safety um, and safety consciousness to those events that have kept us safe through them. So maybe I'd like to hand off to you for a minute about some of your thoughts on that and how the online space and the real world space converge, because that's very real with what you've had to do with the security for SatanCon, for example. Yeah, thank you. And I, um, I 
I absolutely want to talk about like big group security events um, in particular, and then maybe I'll touch on that a little bit down the road. But I think it's more important to really start with, with, with individuals' personal security when it comes to real world type of situations. And uh, I want to lead the conversation with, um, uh, with awareness and, and being aware of your surroundings, um, situational awareness at all times. And the situational awareness should come from something that Carl had mentioned early, earlier about um, having a healthy amount of, of paranoia. I want to be really clear. One of the reasons that I'm I'm so um, uh, sort of engaged in, in security for our group is the fact that we are a minority. We are a maligned group within the, the rest of the, the natural world. We need to realize that. And, you know, people will monitor all of our activity online and try to find ways in which to infiltrate our groups and to find us personally and harm us. And I know Fel will talk much more in depth about how to keep yourself yourself safe online. But in order to keep yourself safe in the real world, it all starts with situational awareness. Um, and that awareness comes in in basically everything that you do. And it, it might sound like a daunting task, but if you think about it, um, when you're driving a car in the real world, you have this situational awareness about you at all times where you're monitoring situations, you're watching cars in front of you and behind and looking for erratic drivers. And if you want to be more um, aware of your situation and secure yourself out in the public, whether it be at a large event or just anything that you do, uh, situational awareness is very important. And you need to watch for things when you're you're out and about uh, in the real world for any kind of unusual behavior from individuals, things that seem um, off-putting or or erratic or strange, and be you know pay attention to those. Um, I know that it's uh, everyone loves to walk around and look at their phones and text and, and scroll through Facebook all the time, even sitting on the train and just submerge yourself in your headphones and listen to music and feel good. And I get that, but also maybe keep one of those headphones out and, and be aware of your situation and your surroundings and pay attention to what's going on around you. This is like, ultimately, this is the biggest thing that you can do in every situation to keep yourself safe um, at all times. It's it's highly important. Um, and involved with that, that situational awareness, if you are out and about and you you feel like you're in a situation where um, you don't feel terribly comfortable or you think something is going wrong, start immediately looking for ways that you can get out of that situation. But more importantly, it's important to present an air of confidence, even if you don't have it, um, um, fake it. As you're walking around, walk with purpose and walk with intent and um, have your head on a swivel and be watching things. But but, but walk with with your head up and high and and march through um, life as it were because uh, a lot of individuals that means to do you harm are looking for those soft targets. So if you are presenting that air of confidence, um, that will that will help you considerably to not yeah, make yourself a victim if that makes sense. If I may add to that really quickly, Chris, one of the things when you said when you think when you mentioned that comes to mind is especially within like what I call the hacker space, but really what it, that, that would be referred to as social engineering and social engineering goes in so many ways. The way you present, how you speak, how you act, um, what you, uh, sadly, the way you look, 
will dictate how the world treats you and 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 how you do that is dependent and on what your necessarily goals are at the moment. I'm not saying that anyone should change their appearance for the purposes of fitting into the world, but there might be a time and space where you don't have a choice. And that's something that we have to consider. So what uh, what I was referring to as social engineering, we might also sometimes refer to as lesser magic. It is how you manipulate the world around you by the presence you're presenting in the space you're in. Yeah, I want to add something to that really, really quickly. This is something that I, I have recommended to individuals that are attending big events for TST. Um, if you're staying off-site at the event and you're traveling to like a big satanic event, obviously a big satanic event draws a lot of eyes. They have protesters. There are people outside of the front doors. And one of the ways in which to keep yourself safe is perhaps wear muggle, what I call muggle clothing, um, over the top of your satanic clothing just to get your ass in through the door and, and to remain incognito and be safe. And just, that is part of that social engineering. Then once you get there, throw the trench coat away and like, you know, flash your true your true self. And it sucks to tell people to like hide your identity. But uh, again, I think it's important to realize that we are a, a minority, small and aligned group and we have to keep that in mind. And sometimes you have to go chameleon incognito in order to keep yourself uh, uh, and your friends and any groups that you're traveling with safe. Um, uh, also on that note, really quick, there have been many times that um, I will send out some of our Satan security team undercover and muggle clothing to go out and like watch the protesters and, and watch the individuals that are there and be unassuming and even like wear a fucking make America great hat again, just so that <laughs> they, they're they able to be there um, sort of undercover as it was, and it works to great effect. Um, yeah. So, so in this regard, um, and I, I know we're going to get into this more later in the conversation, but this is where I was talking about, like, and maybe Chris, you can bring more to this, and then we can hand off to uh, to Fell to a degree in regards to the cyber side of things. But like, when you were doing research for, or when the the team was, let me say that, in regards to security for a large event like um, like SatanCon, um, there was a lot, and I know there is a lot of online. When I use the word surveillance, which is lack of a better term, pretty much overwatch about the kinds of conversations that are happening on the online space in terms of trying to judge and understand that which might be actually coming to show up at our events. So, like, for example, for Satan Con 1, we were well aware of one particular individual who actually did show up. Um, Satan Con 2, or I should say Satan Con 0, Satan Con 1, which was in Boston, um, there were similar uh, bases of knowledge that have been built about the type of people that might come and be um, a risk to us. And so that is a interesting example of how also we need to think about, and when you get to that, we should broach into this. It's an interesting example of how that sort of thought process should be applied to your normal life, right? So the as if you are an open Satanist um, member of TST, you have a certain, um, what's the word? You, you have a certain um, surface area of attack and risk that you've put into your life as a result of being that. If you're using a Satanim, that might be some level of mitigation. If you're using your real name, as I do, you have to realize what that means. So I guess what I'm saying is, how did we judge the, the um, surface area of attack and the risks 
that were present presenting themselves to SatanCon? And then how did we use online surveillance to understand that? And then how do we react to that in a way that's not paranoid, but reasonable? And how do we apply, boy, it's a lot, but then can we apply those lessons to the individual? Yeah, that that is a really, really good question. And I, I want to I talk about a very specific topic. I think that Fel will really go into um, uh, how to keep yourself safe online and how to how to monitor threats, but also I want to make it clear that um, at the end of this talk, we're going to give some resources and share an email address that you can you can share potential threats uh, with us so that we can monitor those things and help you through those situations. But in, in thinking about how to keep the individuals safe, so some of us have received death threats, and you know, those are that happens on occasion. Um, but I think that. It's important to realize that individuals um, will be watching us, and there are certain things that you can do to keep yourself safe. One of the, th the big things that I want to talk about is um, watching your routines. And when I say routines, I, th I think that the majority of us get into these, these routines when it comes to commuting to work or traveling to the store and back or... Um, how you do certain things, the the times that you do laundry or any time that you're you're really out of your your home. And I want you to think about those routines. And one way to keep yourself safe is to change that routine. So if you were, for example, to take the exact same route to work every single day at the exact same time, and somebody was to be monitoring you that meant to do harm to you, they're going to pick up on that really, really quick. And the best way to thwart that is to change that routine on a regular basis. Maybe have three or four different paths to work um, that you can think about and plan out. And it might mean you have to leave earlier or later. But if if you find yourself in a situation when you feel seriously threatened, that is um, a huge way to keep yourself safe. Um, that is certainly one of those examples. You know, check your patterns. Make sure that you you're checking your routes. Um, also, you might have to go as extreme as, you know, potentially checking your car, checking brake lines and, and taillights and looking for anything that looks suspicious around the area as you're out and about. And that also comes with situational awareness. You know, when you leave your home, if there's a, a package sitting there that you didn't recognize or notice and not something that you had ordered, don't mess with that package or that device and maybe notify the authorities about that. Um, some of the, the things that you can hopefully start thinking about in ways that you can change your, your routines to make um, make yourself a little bit more safe in, in regular everyday life. What do you think about that, Carl? Well, I was going to say, if I think a lot of things boil down to what, the, what, and it's not possible to always measure this, but to understand the risk that's actually, the risk that you are particularly in. So for example, and I, and I don't want to understate anyone that's a, that is associated or adjacent to us at all. But like, so for example, being just a member of TST, and I don't mean just, but just so you're just a member and you're not necessarily like publicly profiled as such. And you're rather demure and quiet about that. Whatever risk being a member of TST brings to the individual is much less for someone like that than it would be for someone like you, Chris. You use your real name. You're publicly visible as an open Satanist. And as a result, you have a different threat level presented to you than maybe that person who, and I use just the word just, not because of 
understating someone's importance, but as in just the threat level that's presented to them, right? So you have to think about things from the perspective of what, what again, surface area of attack am I presenting to the world? What surface area might I be presenting later? And I think we might get into this more a little bit later in the, in the discussion. And therefore, the decisions I make now are relevant to the future. So for example, the choice to not use a Satanim is a very significant choice. And it could, you need to think about, am I in a space as an individual, not just now, but actually in the future, that that choice would be something that doesn't harm me. So for example, I use my real name. If you, I don't advise anyone does this because it'll cause you psychic damage. Don't Google my name because if you do, you'll find like horrific like threads on forums that go on for 90 pages at a time that have all sorts of defamation in them and, and horrible claims of non-truths. Now, I don't care about that, but if I were to try and get a job in the real world that I'm not like I'm, I'm currently self-employed, but if I was not able to be and I needed to go apply for a job at a regular business, um, that sort of thing could legitimately be a real problem for me if they start Googling my name. So by not using a Satanim, I made an active decision and I, I stand by that for myself. But for the individual, your current surface area of attack and risk to you may not be anything other than I need a simple layer of abstraction from my satanic life and regular life, even if it just might mean a job application. So in that regard, I'd like to hand off to Fell regarding some of the cyber discussion and how the cyber or the online world maybe affects our real world. And that was just a basic like tie-in to get that part of that conversation going. Awesome. Thank you, Earl, for that. Um, I really kind of wanted to mention uh, what Chris was talking about earlier a little bit in regards to the abstraction layer. I as an individual who does a lot of monitoring online just casually, can honestly say that it's not very difficult to find a person based on even a statement. If all I have in my little utility belt at the time is going to be their statement and a general idea of where they might be located, I can find their real name in about an hour and a half. Um, and I've proven this with just basic, like using my phone, not even having security set up. So in that sense, like a statement is really important because it does make it a little bit harder. I could find Chris's information or Carl's information a lot faster, but somebody whose name, real name, I don't know, I don't even need the city they live in. I can pretty easily connect it by just that statement in a state maybe, or a general idea of who they are, what they do. Yeah. So in this regard, so the choice to use a Satanim is one thing and get, getting back to the, to the online side of this and what I mentioned earlier, that we live in a data focused economy in which your identity is bought and sold for as a commodity. Um, this is where you have to consider again, uh, without getting to the point of paranoia, but getting to the point of where you legitimately need to be for the concerns that face you as an individual. And that's something you have to measure personally. No one can tell you that specifically. That's something you got to think about, but um, if you have a Satanim and you have a real name, of course, whatever that means, um, and you're posting images uh, online on the social media data aggregators of an event that you went to under your Satanim, and you also have your image on your real profile, um, the back end uh, facial identification algorithms and, and, and what they're doing with that means that those accounts are now tied, 
um, you have essentially broached the privacy of one for the other and potentially all of the faces of the people in the photo with you. So that sounds paranoid, but it's absolutely real. And so this again boils down to the level of concern that you need to have not only for yourself, but those around you. If everyone's on board and they provide their approval, that's fine, of course. But you have to think about if you have this account and this account, and this one is here to obscure my identity, maybe it's simply just for the fact of a future job application. And this is my actual professional profile, whatever that means, or my friends outside of the Satan world. Um, and then you post any sort of cross-contamination, you have broached the security and privacy of the account that was designed for that purpose. This sounds very hard, and the answer is it is hard. And this is why the internet has become kind of the dangerous space it is, because with the origins of the internet, when we weren't, and I mean we, myself included, we're not thinking about this to the uh, level we should have. The implications of where we have landed up now are somewhat irreversible. So the time needs to be proactive, not reactive. If you're reacting to a privacy breach, you have already lost control of the data. So, Chris? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that that really, really um, comes into play with a lot of online stuff, but it can also come into play with, with physical stuff. I just wanted to mention this sort of offhand real quick, and I'll make this kind of brief, but um, even something, I know a lot of us use Google Maps or some kind of other maps, uh, as it were, and even something as simple as having your home address um, set as your home in Google Maps or in your car, if you have a car that is all fancy and has all the, the Google applications, if you have your home location set in there, um, that also makes yourself vulnerable in the real world. If somebody gets access to that and gets a hold of those things, you are, you're giving away like personal information that you don't necessarily want to have. Uh, you, you need to be really focused on what does my digital footprint look like uh, and how careful can I be about those things. And I, I know Phil can really, really um, talk much more about these topics as well. Yeah, I'll, I'd like to hand off to you, Phil, in just a moment on that. But when you were talking about digital footprint, well, I think the one that is most palpable, and there's so many instances of this, um, but so much so palpable um, and so real to our current situation not just in this country, but outside of it, um, are, for example, menstruation tracking apps, which are very helpful to uh, menstruating humans for them to figure out their cycle and their natural health and trying to do the best they can for themselves. But the, the truth is that unless you're storing that data in a secured way, only under your control, that data is actually secu secured or under the control of someone else. It could be just blindly in clear text stored in Amazon Web Cloud and the Amazon Cloud or a corporation holds onto it, but make no doubt that they see that as a financially viable and uh, valuable resource to them. And they will sell you and your data to whoever wants it to the highest bidder. And that could be very dangerous to someone living in uh, God, most of this country at this point, right? So that's an example of a dangerous data footprint, but there's so many. Fel, I know you have a lot of resources you would like to talk to about that and maybe some insight as well. Yeah, so I actually uh, wrote down a couple of different sources that I have looked into myself. Um, things like there's a, a website out there. It's a service that you do have to pay for and everything. But you can get your cyber footprint wiped as much as they can, which isn't enough to actually 
keep you from being found by like the big bads, but it's enough to keep you from being found by the little guys or the people who aren't professionally trained. But it's really important to figure out your exact identifying information. Things that a lot of people don't think about is like if you own your home, um, then that is that and your real name are actually online on a Google search. If you rent, it's a little harder to find, obviously. And I'm not saying everybody should rent for their whole ass, trust me. But it's just something worth noting that if something as simple as having a general idea of where you might be located can get somebody your real name, then you might want to go and try to get that kind of cyber footprint washed away. Um, going through and deleting all of like your Google data and everything that like your search history, like, yes, the big dogs, again, can pull that up. If for some reason uh, you have like the cops looking into something, they can look into the history of what you search. But deleting it as just a general statement will kind of keep that from being easier to find by someone who does know what they're doing online. Um, you can use uh, Google Voice is another really good resource. Um, having that phone number that's not actually associated with your real name, utilizing that for any sort of satanic events or you, using it for any other events that you might not want people to know who you actually are. Um, but having a complaint in regards to whoever, whatever your state name is or your alias. Uh, the email address, the phone number, the Facebook page, whatever. If you're going to have a Facebook page and you do want to have that association, make sure that it's signed up under the fake phone number, under the fake email, because otherwise all someone would need to do is know what email address you typically use, or if they can't figure out your real name, they'd probably have access to your Facebook. You make a good point about phone numbers. Phone numbers are very much in the digital space, not that different than in the economic and employment space, like a social security number. Most of us don't change phone numbers very, very regularly. And a phone number that has been associated with an identity or anything that you've posted is easily trackable. And like one link or cross link between A and B gives you pretty much everything you need to get to access about an individual. So um, you mentioned Google Voice, which is free. Um, you can go and set that up and it will associate a number that is not your direct phone number to a Gmail account. And then you can have it call your local phone number when you are doing any kind of, um, just one layer of obf obfuscation like that can actually go a long way. So um, Chris, I'd like to hand off to you about some ways to use a phone for uh, security reasons. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to, you know, realize that you know, we, we use our phones constantly and the data that is collected is um, uh, just sold to all these companies and you, it's, it makes you very, very vulnerable. But at the same time, a phone is absolutely an amazing tool that can help to keep yourself safe. And a couple of things that I really wanted to, to pinpoint here is that you need to get to know your phone's features, right? So, you know, be careful about what data you share with with Google or Meta, Meta um, currently, or you know, past Facebook, and realize that you can go into Google or you can go into Meta and you can request to see all of your data, and you can also request to delete that bullshit. Um, you can turn off your location services on your phone, but having location services turned on and things of that nature can also be very helpful if you find yourself in a situation and you need to use your phone in an emergency. And so I always recommend that individuals get very comfortable with their phones. Like if I were to ask you right now to pull up your phone and hit an emergency button that would dial 911 within like five seconds, could you do it? And if you can't, you should probably figure out how to do that uh, because most phones have you know, emergency services that will connect you to 911 immediately, at least within the United States. 
Um, they might have location services that if you get into an accident or, or anything happens that it will send out uh, automatic requests um, to send emergency services. And sometimes if you don't have that natively on your phone, there are apps that exist. And I know Fel knows some of those apps that will help with that. Um, do you have emergency contacts set up in your phone that you can you can reach at the click of just a few buttons if you need help with something that could go to your, your parents or friends, you know, family, whatever the case may be? So while technology is, is certainly is dangerous and can leave our asses exposed at the same time, um, it can absolutely be a tool that can save your life also. And so get familiar with, with that technology and think about it in security terms as well know those features and, and figure out what you need to do to turn those on and how to access them quickly uh, and maybe even practice accessing those things, even if you don't hit fucking call to 911, practice um, so that you you it feels like rotes when it comes to an emergency and you absolutely have to use those. And I know that Fell has some resources and I want to go to Fell about you know certain apps that you can use that really help with that the, those sort of services. Yep. So um, the only one that I actually want to mention here, and thanks for bringing it up, Chris, is there's an app called Life360 that's super, super useful um, that I would definitely recommend. It's actually like a family app, um, but what it does is it allows you to set specific contacts that it'll alert those people uh, when somebody leaves a location or when they arrive at a location, as well as having like an accident report feature and having a quick button for the 911 call or the recording of a situation or a quick button to let your specified contacts know that you're in danger or you're scared or anything of that nature. It does have that just quick button response to everything. Um, again, if you're turning your location off, then which you should be doing in general, it's a pretty decent idea to just like flip it back on real quick as you leave home, flip it back on real quick as you get home, just to alert anybody if you have that Live 360. But keep in mind that by doing that, you are having that uh, location service registered and everything. Um, so it has consequences, pros and cons, like anything else, but it is worth noting and worth looking into if you've got kids or even if you don't, uh, it's really good to just have that security aspect already in your phone and ready. I want to, I want to, that's great. Thank you. I want to keep going back to this theme that I, I, I think is so important to the average person in that, um, if you think the threat to you is a nation state level actor, you are you have no chance. <laughs> You're done. Um, there is no solution that you can do. Uh, let's just put that into, into consideration. The Unabomber was caught because of his shoe size, right? There is a point where you cannot escape that sort of a threat, but that is not what most of us are worried about. And so simple layers of even one degree of, of, of obfuscation can make a huge difference. And I, so when we say this, a Satanim that is reasonably well protected, and a Google voice number, rather than your real number being used for a number of things, except with your web of trust, can go a very long way against what could be really just a very, um, we're not talking about a nation state actor here, but let's just go with something very simple, a potential date. <laughs> You're in the dating world and you meet someone that's interesting. Give them your real phone number that they can now Google and find your home address, or give them a Google voice number that keeps them one layer of abstraction away from that. That's a very real world potential threat that by that simple act can change the risk that you're profiling to yourself in a very easy way. So that sort of thing is very important. And I hopefully we're getting that message across here that you have to think about what the risks are to you. And the, 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 the lowest level 
that you can take that where you're not at the point of living in total fear that you can take to make differences that make a huge difference in terms of your personal security. So I know one of the things we wanted to talk about a little bit more tonight, which we haven't gotten into as much yet, and I want to go back and forth on this, but Chris, we should also talk a little bit about um, some of the things you should think about from a physical security perspective. I know you talked about changing your your um, patterns and some of the things you should do in terms of like maybe keeping an earbud out of your ear to be situationally aware. But what are some of the skills you think that are more applicable to, um, and this could be a content warning because we should talk about, I mean, we're going to talk about actual threat, active threat, and maybe even a mass casualty event. So if that's something concerning to you, be aware that that might come up in this conversation. But what are some of the skills you might think are worth learning to keep yourself and others around you safe in the physical space? Yeah, there, there's a handful of things um, that that will apply to different situations depending on who you are and where you're at and, and individuals you're with. Um, I, I personally believe there's a couple of trainings that I personally believe everyone should go through. Uh, and you can find all of these things basically through Red Cross, but there are other resources as, uh, available as well. But first aid training is massive. It's absolutely important. And these are skills that you should learn. You can go through Red Cross. You can go through Red Cross for all of these. Um, first aid training, um, uh, you know, not for yourself personally, but for, for your loved ones and people that you you hang out with uh, are very important skills. You know, learn some basic CPR, learn some basic first aid. Um, and you can get all of that training through Red Cross. They have programs that happen constantly, and they, they give these things out for free all the time. Um, apart from that, I know uh, a lot of us like to go to big parties and have fun, and we're we're very we're very liberal with uh, our indulgences. And so it might be very important for you to also learn naloxone kit training as well, and uh, utilize some of your. There are local resources in almost every major city. Um, about how to watch for um, drug overdoses and how to deal with those. And like I personally carry an naloxone kit with me everywhere that I go. Uh, Narcan, naloxone training, all of that. Uh, and I realize that's not necessarily involved with threats and security, but it's about keeping our, our people safe as well and watching out for each other, right? Um, and in line with that, you know, anytime you you do go out and you're you're involving yourself in big group activities and having fun with your friends, um, keep an eye on each other. Maybe make sure that you have, uh, if you're you're out enjoying yourself, have a designated sober individual that will be able to keep that situational awareness and watch for things, especially when you're at Satan events. If you're at a Satan event and say you're at Satan Con and you go out with all of your friends to a particular bar to have a good time after hours, you need to know that there are eyes on you, people are watching you, and you need to, to keep the entire group safe, have, have somebody that is, is always watching that group that um, has a clear eye and that is sober and can watch for uh, any of the telltale signs of somebody following you or, or being sketchy and watching your group or meaning to do harm. Um, I hope that kind of gets to the meat of what you're asking, Carl. I think I might have missed, you know, some of the thread there. Any follow-up questions? Well, I, I, let me let me throw some stuff out there that just to, to to add to what you were saying. I think like one of the things that we're we're at the forty-minute mark. We got a little bit of time left, but I want to think like let's let's try to focus down on what are the basics that we can do as individuals in the physical space. And you touched some of that right now. And then, Fel, I'll come to you for some of the basics we can do in the online space. So, like you mentioned, first aid training. So. You know, there's 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 the the real world risk, especially in this country, of 
being at the wrong place at the wrong time for a spree shooting, right? That is a real possibility. But statistically, there's a much higher risk of having a car accident or slipping in your kitchen with a butcher knife or um, your friend accidentally um, who happens to be a consumer of such products getting uh, something laced with fentanyl, right? So these are more real world things that can happen. So when I think of this, like first basics, like what can we do to be safer in the physical world for not only ourselves, but those that we care about around us, even if it doesn't apply to me individually, right? So one, as you mentioned, first aid training, um, everyone should have basic first aid as a human, because you don't know the life you might save. It could be yours, could be your loved one, it could be just a stranger on the street. Including in that, especially in this country, you should consider first aid training that includes trauma response. So um, Red Cross tends to deal with CPR and like Heimlich maneuvers and such. But it realistically, in the United States, it's not a bad idea to understand basic trauma preparedness. And there's a really good free resource for that called Stop the Bleed. And it teaches you how to deal with a significant hemorrhagic response. That means someone's bleeding out. How to apply a tourniquet how to make a bandage or have a bandage or use a bandage appropriately. And honestly, the amount of people that have been saved by the Stop the Bleed program, not for something tragic like a shooting, but just from like, for example, a car accident is immeasurable. And that is a real world thing that can happen on a given Tuesday. So when I think about that first aid, um, some level of trauma response, um, Narcan, especially depending on the spaces you're in or from a party environment, and simple even if you're not a consumer yourself, fentanyl test strips that you can put in your wallet for a friend or a loved one or someone you know, if they got something, you know, go check that out before you uh, go ahead and use that just to make sure that, that you're safe, right? So, um, Chris, do you have more you'd like to add to the physical space thing? And then we'll go to Fell for like basics on online. Certainly. I just wanted to add like one really quick thing about personal protection devices. And a lot of people are, are probably wondering like, oh, so if I'm, I'm watching for my my own personal physical security or those of my loved ones, like what should I be carrying weapons as it were? And uh, I, I wanted to get to this and mention some of the, um, uh, some of the more common ones with, with the caveat of saying, you know, I can't tell you what to do in those regards, but I recommend that re regardless of what you choose within this topic, you get trained on those devices and you make sure that if you are using things that you are using for personal protection that you practice with them, you know how to utilize them, whether it be a firearm or mace or um, uh, a knife or whatever the case may be. But my personal recommendations are, um, first and foremost, I wanna mention utilizing air horns and having a very small cylinder of an air horn that you carry with you for, for several reasons. One of them is that it's non-lethal. Um, they're cheap. They're easy to maintain. They're easy to practice with. Like we all know what the fuck an air horn sounds like. But why they're so important is that uh, if you blow that thing in a space and it makes that loud ass noise, everyone in that air that that area is going to be directed towards that noise. It's startling. It's going to distract them. It is going to be. It is an implement that is utilized to um, uh, really startle an entire area, and it can draw attention to yourself in a situation that is happening. Uh, it can. It also puts people off guard, and it might give you that split second timing that you need to get out of a bad situation. It might even calm down a fight. Two people are fighting on the side of the street, and you blast that thing, and it it knocks them to their senses, and it gives them that that opportunity to just 
stop and, and think about what they're doing and realize that they're in a public space. I mean, it can be utilized in so many ways. And quite honestly, if you are being viciously attacked and you grab that and you blast that in somebody's ear, I can almost guarantee they're going to stop what they're doing because all of a sudden they can't hear and they're completely disoriented. So it's utilized in a lot of ways. It's a non-lethal implement that is, is highly, highly important. And a lot of people will, are likely saying in chat, oh, what about a whistle? Whistles are great, but if you're blowing on that whistle constantly, you're winding yourself and you are leaving yourself at a disadvantage. Um, so think about an air horn just for fun. Um, and I will mention mace really, really quick. And just to say that a lot of people like to go towards mace as an alternative as well. And mace is very, very useful. But again, if you're gonna utilize mace, as a personal protection device, make sure that you train with it. You know how it's activated, you know how far it'll shoot, you know what it does, what kind of spread it has. Always realize that if you spray that thing and you are facing upwind, you're gonna get backlash and it's gonna hit you in the eyes and it's gonna suck ass for you. Them specifically, but you also. So, you know, be aware of these things. Um, so on that note, um, I, I work, and this is a topic well beyond the, um, the, the, the scope of this talk conversation, but you touched on it, Chris. Um, if you feel that the situation you're in warrants, um, and I'm, I, this is a very personal decision, some sort of weapon, whatever that is, um, I will say that uh, the space I work in deals a lot with that topic. And um, carrying any form of weapon without proper training is actually more of a liability to the individual carrying it than it is a protection. Uh, merely having a knife or a firearm or even mace without training is actually more dangerous than not having it in many instances. Um, proper training is about retaining control of such things, not only from the perspective of making sure that such a thing in your house is controlled and secured so that someone who shouldn't have access to it doesn't, but also in the event of a conflict, ensuring that the person you're in the conflict with doesn't use your own weapon against you. Weapons are a very serious and difficult decision, but if you do decide to take that on, they are not a talisman that magically makes you safe. They can make you more at risk unless you know what you're doing. So, Fel, I know you had quite a bit you'd like to add to the conversation. Uh, I'd like to hand off to you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, I do want to mention just on the physical security side, even though it's not really my forte necessarily, there are these really cool devices. They're called bone conducting earbuds that clip around your ear. I actually have a pair around here somewhere, but they make it easier to hear kind of what's going on in the world around you while still like listening to your music or having whatever distraction you want. Um, so they look like this. And they literally just clip around the outside of your ear and you can hear. Um, I use these of my own like fears. Uh, but it is definitely a really good uh, tool to utilize. But as far as the cybersecurity is concerned, um, one of the things that I really wanted to talk about was passwords uh, in general. I know that we've talked a lot about like how or what happens when a breach happens, but a lot of people don't realize what it takes to make like a secure password. Um, my recommendation is usually either a short sentence or three completely unrelated words that have nothing to do with you, just three random words that like your kid is saying or something. And have those words have letters randomly in between the number, or I'm sorry, numbers randomly in between the letters and try to figure out exactly what kind of passwords you need for everything because you should have different passwords. You should turn on two-step ver uh, the verification or authentication whenever you are able to. It gives you that sense of security so somebody can't just go on, have your email address and type it in and be like, oh, I forgot my password. 
Um, so it does add an extra layer of security, but having that complicated, a little lengthier password will also help you out a bit. People usually go for like one word and number combination. So having a short sentence, like I said, with full capitalization, period at the end of the sentence and some number or letters and numbers is a great tool for success. If I may add to that also, I agree with all of that. Using unique passwords per resource is extraordinarily important because if one resource is broached, as in cracked or hacked, your password, if it's the same password on everything you use, is a gateway to all of your things. So for example, if you use a password to log into um, uh, Google with uh, that, and that same password, an email account is used to log into your banking and someone gets that password, guess what? They not only have your Gmail, they also have your um, Google account. Um, they have your they have your um, your banking information as well. One thing that can help with that is anywhere that it's able to be enabled, turning on two-factor authentication that then requires something that you are and something that you possess and something you know simultaneous to the password. So two-factor is you type in your password, and then it will probably, generally speaking, and this is not the best version, but it is a version, send a six-digit character code to your SMS on your phone that you have in your possession um, is a good way, even if your password's breached, to ensure that your banking, for example, and by the way, banks are kind of one of the worst implementers of 2FA, ironically, but um, that is a good opportunity to ensure that you can secure things. And in fact, in our Google workspace for .org for our um, congregational infrastructure, we are starting to enable and enforce two-factor authentication for that reason alone. So on this moment, I know we have a little more to say, but I also want to reach out to the audience watching this tonight. And perhaps they have questions for any of all three of us, one of us in particular, or a topic in particular. And if they could feed that into the chat, that'll come back to us here, and we'll hopefully be able to address that for you. Chris? Yeah, while while chat's thinking about questions and and um, uh, figuring that out, I I wanted to mention really quickly um, uh, ways to keep yourself safe at venues. So a lot of us go to satanic events, and I, I just wanted to mention that when you go to satanic events, these are highly, most of them are highly public and they're problematic, and you should have a different sort of response when you go to these events. And a couple things that you should look out for is. A, know what security looks like in the area. Um, and if you, you know, keep your head on a swivel, again, situational awareness. If you see something that seems out of place or an individual is being problematic or anything at all, go to security, talk to them, right? So know what they look like, get comfortable with them, talk with them. I know sometimes it's hard to talk to authority figures and I, I have ideas about that. We can get to it later, maybe. Um, but also know your exits. When you get into a place, um, case the joint. Quite literally, like know where the exits are, figure out where the emergency exits are, and consider things that could be exits that aren't marked as exits. For example, if you go to the bathroom and you notice there's a window there, hey, that's a fucking emergency exit. You know, check to see if the, the window is, is uh, able to be open. Um, uh, look for these, these, these kind of situations. If, you're, uh, if you do go outside for smoke breaks, make sure that you go with groups and other individuals and that you tell people, hey, I'm going out for a smoke, I'll be right back, if, if nothing else. Right? Think about uh, event security when you're, you're hanging out in these particular events that are kind of high risk a little bit differently and have a little bit more presence and awareness of where you are, 
Um, and also maybe be aware of where the nearest hospital is, the emergency room, the local police department, uh, a, a fire department, you know, uh, scope out the entire area and know where you're at and, and be careful with those things. Phil, we have a question for you. Uh, yep. So our chat mod actually sent me um, a question. Uh, have I ever had a security breach? So I actually recently did a uh, pretty big one. I was outed by somebody within everything and everyone that's one that I knew really well. And it actually led to me losing uh, contact entirely with my son. So because an individual had my information, uh, she was able to contact somebody I was having concerns with. And it, long story short, without getting into too much detail on here, it did lead to legal action being taken to keep me from contacting or being in contact with my son. And that was somebody I trusted completely. And even that, even someone that you know, like it, it can be a dangerous thing. You do need to watch what you say because there are real world consequences. I wouldn't wish this kind of thing on anybody. I'm sorry, Fallon. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's a real, it's an example of the real world risks that that we that we exist with, um, dependent on our identity, whether it's as a Satanist or something else. And uh, sadly, um, there are times in which there's not anything you can do to prevent such a thing. Like you said, it was someone you trusted that was close to you. And so often these, sometimes the risk is within the house, um, quite literally. Um, and that's, that's just the, that's a sad reality of the world we exist in and it shouldn't be. And I'm sorry, but thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Chris, go ahead. And then we have probably a question that's appropriate for you in the chat as well. Yeah, and I was going to hit up that question as well, but I, I did want to mention, um, if you're thinking, if you're on the fence about creating a Satan, realize that it's not even necessarily just for your safety, it's for the safety of your entire family, right? And that, that's important, and for the ones that you love, and, and for situations like that, and it's hard. Um, and, and so if you're on the fence about that, uh, even if you are sort of active in the satanic community to a certain extent, and haven't made that switch yet, it's it's not too late until you become like, Carl or myself, where it's like way too fucking late. Um, but it's it's not too late to think about that security, if not just for yourself, but for your family um, as well. And I, I was going to get to this question in the chat about um, uh, what is a good way to learn using a weapon? And I'll touch on it briefly, but I think Carl's a better resource for this. But it depends on your location. It depends on what you want to train. But I, I would recommend there's lots and lots and lots of resources locally where you can show up physically and, and and there are training courses that will teach you to use all kinds of weapons regardless of what it is um, but for that matter like if you wanted to get comfortable with a can of mace and how it operates go out into a field and buy a couple extras and pop that bitch and see how far it goes and just train with it on your own i don't recommend that with like firearms or, or things of that nature and if you wanted to like technically train with a knife you know find find like a a, a a reputable organization that will teach you how to handle those things appropriately. But there are some instances in which you can you can just practice with the the, the weapon that you are utilizing. Uh, Carl, do you have anything to add on that? I know you have probably more resources than I. That is a very difficult topic that could be an hour in its own scope, only from the, from the reason that um, a lot of the space in which weapons training is, is provided are not spaces that are friendly to people like us. Um, so it presents a difficult issue in that, for example, if you were interested in learning how to properly and safely use a firearm, depending on where you live, a lot of places that offer that sort of stuff are 
MAGA hat kind of places. Um, and so sometimes, depending on how you present, and I don't mean that as a judgment, just a statement, you can go into that space demurely and still learn, sadly, from people that would be probably um, very much our enemies in terms of our own safety, oddly. Or if you're looking for something to avoid that have interaction, this is going to sound a little odd and maybe out of scope, but since the question was asked, if you're looking into firearms, you could also look into the SRA, the Socialist Rifle Association. Um, they do um, have offer, depending on where you live, there might be a chapter near you. All of these situations come with caveats, but they are probably going to be more friendly to people of our identities. So those are thoughts, and that's a topic that's huge um, and deeper than we can get into right now. But I can tell you that unless you can acquire training, whether it's from a trusted friend or family member or resource, um, do not just acquire such a thing and think that's enough because it is not. It is actually more dangerous. Yeah, so there's there's one more question that I, I kind of wanted to um, uh, address because we are drawing towards the end. And the question was, um, uh, this individual that is planning events, any tips for ministers, leaders who plan events, um, things we might not already be thinking about. And this is a perfect segue for the new security group that has been set up very recently called uh, Cerberus Satanic um, Security Services. So Cerberus has been created and there's an email that you can reach out to, which will be posted in chat. Um, and the, you can utilize this email to reach out to experts that will be able to lead, especially leaders from either campaigns or congregations that need to be more, want to be more security minded about their events. And we will help train them and, and what to think about. We will also work with their congregants and, and really give them more on uh, hands-on training about how to lead security um, uh, initiatives within those events and really like be the lead person for security. And we, we want those individuals to come to us because we we're looking to get more individuals that we can train, that we can utilize to be boots on the ground services for campaigns and congregations, campaigns specifically, but congregations as well. So like when we hold Satan Con or when I, I go to after-school Satan clubs and I have you know, our security, our satanic security services on um, on site, we're looking for volunteers that will help us to, to further our sort of security presence within all of TST. Um, apart from that, uh, Cerberus is also involved with online threat monitoring. And um, uh, I need, you know, Fell is, is really leading this initiative, but I need more people to help us out with being able to monitor online threats. We're going to take threats. So if a congregation or a campaign receives threats online, it can come, they can come to us and we will monitor those and we will do a threat assessment and say, oh, this person's, they're just barking online or this person has a history of, of you know, violent intention. I need tech uh, involved people that can help us with that endeavor. Uh, so hopefully the email is posted in chat. If you have questions or if you want to get more involved, go to that email and uh, let's let's keep ourselves safe. So I want I, our hour is up and I, this is obviously a topic that could go on for hours, quite honestly. So I want to thank Chris and Fell for joining me today and all of you for joining us at the service. Um, I believe Chris and Fell, you're going to host a not related to ministry private Zoom chat that people can join into if they want to have a greater conversation after this. And that 
I believe is posted in the chat. Again, not related to ministry, not related to this service. They're just doing that. If you're really interested and want to join and just have a greater conversation, that should be posted in the chat room for you right now. Um, but I do want to thank all of you for joining us on this very important topic. And we should really take pause and think about the risk that is really presenting to us and the actions that we can take at the, even the most basic level to make ourselves and our family and our friends and those around us more safe. 